Today's episode of The Vergecast is brought to you by Squarespace. Squarespace is the easiest way to create a beautiful website, blog, or online store for you and your ideas. Squarespace features an elegant interface, beautiful templates, and incredible 24-7 customer support. Try Squarespace at squarespace.com and enter offer code VERGE at checkout to get 10% off. Squarespace. Build it beautiful. Sam. I like the ads to, to end with like an aggressive call out of Sam yeah. Sheffer. Yeah. I think that's the future of advertising is Sam Sam getting yelled at. Like Bud Light ads during the Super Bowl end with like. It's the final tagline. Yeah, exactly. The Bud fi- Light, Sam. <laughs> uh, so hello, everybody. Welcome to the Vergecast. Uh, today is uh, July, not July, no. June 18th. My calendar's open to the wrong month. Uh, today is June 18th, 2015. I'm Eli Patel. I am Dieter Bone. And I am Emily Yoshida. And wait, wait for it, buddy. And a very special guest coming to us live from California, Los Angeles, California, Casey Newton on Skype. Hi there. How's it going? And then, uh, you know, in his box, the hype box. Hype box, sweat box, sweat lodge. Don't call it the sweat lodge. Uh, Sam Sheffer joins Hi. us. Hi. Joins Emily, us you're a camera, so I'm going to have to do this. Oh, no, you're a camera right now, okay. too. I've seen you through um, a little screen. I have, I have like, a very important question for Casey Newton. Is that a bunk that? bed behind you? <laughs> yeah. Oh yes. Okay. What's the yeah? What's the we, the Verge E three setup right now? How are the accommodations? We have uh, six people staying inside of a two bedroom, and I've been sharing one bathroom with five people for five days now. Oh, good. So, mm-hmm. so uh, what's the best thing that you know about somebody that you work with now? <laughs> <laughs> I know that uh, Sam Byford is a total diva who spends up to forty minutes uh, getting ready in the morning. Oh, this is why I demand my own hotel room wherever we go. It's because I don't want anyone to know the length of my my hair. Oh, uh, <laughs> it's a it's a long process. It's about, it's about I know that three process. three inches. Huh? <laughs> top. Yeah. No. It's um. There's a lot of futzing and then a lot of like. Uh, and then a lot of refutzing. Anyway, yeah. so Casey has been at E3 all week with the, with the rest of the Verge team. Uh, kind of a huge week of news out of E3. Uh, and we only have Casey for the first half hour of the show, so we should get right into it. Uh, tell us about E3. What's going on over there in, in our <laughs> in our war zone-like conditions that we've put you in? <laughs> um, so E3 has been a pleasant surprise in a lot of ways this year. And uh, you're going to start seeing some of us writing about this on the site. You know, the the knock on E3 in recent years has been uh, that the the violence has just been sort of off the charts, uh, totally grim. Uh, it is like the games have not been inclusive at all. There's been no role for women either uh, in the games or on stage. And it really feels like the video game industry got the message this year in a huge way. And so everywhere we turned uh, at the the big keynote presentations from uh, Microsoft and Sony and, and lots of the other studios, we saw women in games. We saw women on stage. Um, and uh, the games look really fun. Uh, obviously, there's still a lot of violence, a lot of murder and mayhem. <laughs> um, but it doesn't feel as like grim and soulless as it used to. It's not just a lot of neck stabbings. Um, a lot of the <laughs> violence feels kind of more cartoonish and stylized now. Right. And so everybody just kind of keeps looking around at each other saying like, is it just me or like, are we actually having fun here? And, and what's going on with that? So, uh, so we really have been kind of pleasantly but surprised. But it's, it's still kind of dark though. Most of the games feature uh, the end of the world in some way. Why is that dark? Yeah. <laughs> 
fair. Um, <laughs> but like, let me ask you, you know, you said there's like a big pressure on the industry, but I would say there was also, and it's hard to ignore, there was Gamergate, which was a huge outcry from sort of the other insane, not mature side of <laughs> the gaming community. Um, has that been yeah. represented? Are people there talking about that at all? Well, so today, as I was walking around, uh, some uh, idiot gamer gators have posted signs uh, all over downtown that say uh, Femme Freak, uh, which is a play on feminist frequency, uh, the uh, Anita Sarkeesian uh, series that sort of kicked off uh, a lot of uh, Gamergate outrage. Um, And uh, there's like some kind of quote on the... um, on, on the posters indicating that Anita Sarkeesian's coming to take away all of your fun. So, I mean, it really is just like toddlers have been set loose <laughs> on the streets of downtown LA because, you because mean, women demanded to be included in video games. Um, it's so not yeah, a so safe space like a, for toddlers. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, so there really has been uh, like Gamergate presence here. Um, but I think one of the things that's interesting to think about is that video games have long production times, right? Like many of these games are in production for three years plus. And so I actually think that a lot of the changes that we're seeing probably got started two or three years ago and that, you know, the drumbeat of criticism grew louder and louder. Last year, uh, Feminist Frequency had this huge moment, Gamergate broke out. But the truth is that a lot of the, the changes that we're seeing today were sort of well on their way for a couple of years. It just kind of took the video game industry a while to get those games into production. Right, and like something like Fallout took six years, right? Yeah. I mean, well, uh, what, right. what's the uh, what's the game with the giant dog? With the oh, uh, the Last Guardian. The Last Guardian. I knew that last in it. That that's been around for a long time. We've been waiting. I think for it was that. announced in two thousand seven. Yeah. Uh, like people <laughs> just thought it was never going to arrive. Um, there was, of course, a very uh, like insane quote last year. I, I don't. I can't remember. I, I think I know which studio, but I don't want to defame the, the them if I'm wrong. But somebody just said that uh, women's bodies were physically harder to animate, and that's why they weren't in oh, games. Yeah. Uh, that was um, a, Assassin's think, Creed. No, was, no, no. Or was it Assassin's Creed? No, I wrote about this think, last year. I remember. <laughs> yeah. So, so obviously, like that doesn't make uh, any sense at all. Um, this year, uh, you know, magically, animators had figured out how to solve the mystery of animating the female form. Uh, and, and it's Technology like, keeps so getting better. Of, <laughs> so many of the games that, like, I'm looking forward to playing uh, feature female characters uh, that are coming out. Um, uh, Lara Croft Ri- Rise of the Tomb Raider looks really, really great. One of the best demos that we've seen this year. Um, the last game, which was just called The, uh, the, uh, the Tomb Raider, was, was a lot of fun. Uh, I know Dieter uh, hit 100% on that game. Um, yes, but, I did. But but also um, uh, Mirror's Edge, which is sort of a, a beloved game from the last decade that uh, my colleague Addie Robertson really loves and has written about. That's getting a nice sequel, stars a, a female protagonist and is notably based on something other than just like running around murdering people. Um, and then uh, a personal favorite of mine, Dishonored, is getting a sequel. And you have the option of playing as either the hero from the uh, the original game or uh, the girl that you rescued uh, at the end of that game uh, as kind of the protagonist of the new one. So, you know, I think that's awesome uh, and, and really can't wait to start playing those. So let's go through. Um, so that's like some of the news. There's also a bunch of VR news, right? Oculus had a, a surprise event that we sort of talked about last week. But then you guys got to play with a bunch of stuff as well. What, what, what was your take on sort of the VR element of the E3 this year? It's it's coming along slowly but surely. It feels like almost everyone is making a headset. We've done uh, just about all of the demos. Um, 
I think one of the demos that got just about everybody's attention was actually the AR demo, the augmented reality demo that Microsoft did as part of its presentation uh, with Minecraft. Um, they had a guy who was wearing HoloLens and was able to kind of uh, project a vision onto a table of a Minecraft world. He was able to kind of zoom in with his fingers and manipulate it. And it looked really, really cool. And uh, my colleague Chris Plant, who is here, did that demo uh, yesterday. And he told me that that was actually the moment that he he got AR, that he felt like AR will definitely really? be a thing. Because I read um, Addy's piece, and Addy's piece was like, this sort of- this kind of sucks. <laughs> Well, it's de- it's definitely true that I think that the the version of Hololens that they showed us originally in Seattle uh, was more fully featured and had like a better field of view yes. than the the Hololens we've seen since. So that's actually really weird, right? It's hard to think of another time where a consumer electronics company showed you like a good version of something, and then like six <laughs> months later it was like, and now here's a worse one. No, that's um, just that's my life. <laughs> like, yeah. I mean that, that right? I mean that's that. that it, I, I don't know. I feel like with Hololens, we were always destined to see what they could really do with because the demo one they showed was like totally hacked together. You were tethered to a PC somewhere, and to shrink it down and make it real, they were going to lose some fidelity, right? And that's right. the knock. The knock is that it's a really narrow frame of AR reality, and everything else is kind of blocked off. Right. Yeah, I, I think that's true, um, but. You know, the flip side of that is that they are they're working away on this. Everybody believes in this, you know, uh, I mean, there's just going to be such huge opportunities for whoever figures it out. So people are marching along. Um, I I did a a VR uh, demo of a game called um, Adrift, um, although the I in Adrift is spelled with a one. So we're not sure Uh, if we're supposed to call it Adrunft or what. But um, (laughs) no, but uh, but the game is really cool. Um, the premise is that you uh, sort of come to and you're on a space station and it's kind of blown apart and you're running out of oxygen and you have to like find more oxygen so that you don't die. And then you have to sort of figure out who you are and where you are and how to get back home. And uh, and so I did this demo on Oculus Rift. It's also going to come out for like PlayStation and PC. Um, but man, like inside of Oculus Rift, like the the game was actually overwhelming to the point where I was glad to be done when I died. Whoa. Um, wow. You know, I I don't know if you guys have had any experiences with this like kind of VR sickness or like VR nausea where like it almost gets too intense. But, you know, I find that like in certain moments, like I actually actually experience like a shortness of breath. Um, I I feel I find myself disoriented and it sort of depends on like, you know, what the style of game is and what's going on. But um, but that said, um, the experience was great. The game is beautifully designed. It's very scary. And uh, and it feels like a real game, you know, like you're you're moving around in space, like you're you're trying to find oxygen, you're trying to hack into terminals, um, and <laughs> like all and space yet, games, you, like all space games. <laughs> but you also have like no place to stand, and so you know you're you're controlling it with a gamepad, and you're manipulating yourself with sticks, and you're just kind of you know you're you're turning somersaults, and you're you know banging into walls, and I, I mean it's just like a really intense, strange experience, and like nothing you've ever played before, right? And like that's where I start to get really excited is I feel like. We're about to, you know, once the consumer version of Oculus comes out next year, normal people are going to be able to play this kind of crazy VR experience. And I think it's just going to, you know, trigger the next wave of, of creativity and game development. Yeah. And I had an argument. Um, so Polygon has a war room here in one of the conference rooms in New York. Um, and there's a bunch of them sitting there looking very tired, just yeah. very exhausted. Um, yeah. But I went and had lunch with them today just to see how E3 is going for them. 
and we got in a little little debate over whether or not everyone in the world will one day own a VR headset, right? Like, because yeah. I mean, which Im- side which side of the debate were you on? I just don't think it's going to happen. Like, I, I I'm skeptical that everyone will own a VR headset the way that everyone owns a smartphone, or that not everyone in the world, but like you know the vast majority of people will own um, a, a VR headset the way that people own a smartphone mm-hmm. or they own a television. These like there are other dominant media experiences in our lives, right? And they're so, everywhere. But so the counter argument is everyone didn't own a PC until there were like a set of things that you could do on them besides like spreadsheets and games that made them make sense for the home user. And so the the thing that's missing from VR, I'm going to say it. Oh, God oh, damn it. Oh, man. <laughs> I've heard of that phrase before. Oh, <laughs> oh man. That's it, right? Like, like we they know how to make games for VR and they know how to make... I don't know the weather show up on your refrigerator in AR. Well, that's a, no, I'm with you, but like the, um, the, the way, the way the conversation started was the challenge that we are all having Casey's having right now, describing VR games and how they made him feel and how Polygon has a challenge. And in general, when they have these press conferences, they never show you the games because at best, what they can do is put somebody on stage in a VR headset, stumbling around talking about how weird it is or how great it is. Right. And you know, Palmer Lucky's solution is like one day we're just going to do our press conferences in VR and it'll be like you're sitting there. Um, you know, they did the last episode or the 50th anniversary episode of Saturday Night Live, not the last episode, but the 50th anniversary episode of Saturday Night Live was shot in VR and you can just like pretend you're there and like look around and it's like a little demo for the Oculus. Mm. And like one day that will be the press conference experience and they'll flick a button and then you'll be in a game demo with the person you know, and like, and I was you know, I was like, that's great, but that assumes that everybody has a VR headset. And I, right. like, how do you get to the place where, you know, everyone's watching the e, the EA keynote at E3 on Twitch, YouTube, and Spike TV or whatever, and they're watching a live stream on our site, um, and they're, like, plugged into an Oculus Rift. And that just seems crazy to me. You make it cheap. Yeah. I mean, you make it a phone. Yeah. Do you play with any Gear VR stuff? Casey? Um uh i so i I mean we have like a gear vr at the office and i sort of respect what they're trying to do but i just find it janky as hell like i you know you you can see the pixels individually um like the kind of the, the the look is just kind of very muddy and you know i've been lucky enough to get to do some of the uh the oculus crescent bay experiences where they have this kind of precision head tracking and where you like the the environments are much more lush and comfortable and so like you put on gear vr and it's just like a sort of awkward stopgap measure so right. you know like for the for the bleeding edge adopters i'm glad that it's out there and you know maybe it's inspiring some developers out there to make cool experiences but like i would never recommend that a consumer go buy uh, gear VR as their intro to this new wave of VR. Did you play with the new Ocu- the final consumer version of Oculus and the Oculus Touch controllers and all that stuff? Uh, I didn't get to do that demo. No. Um, There's a great video of Addy really- doing it. I think Addy should only make VR demo videos for us because <laughs> uh, she I don't know she obviously doesn't know this and it'd be terribly embarrassing when she listens to this. But if she listens to this, but she she has a particularly precise facial expression. Like she's always moving her hands in very court, like very precise, very measured ways. And she just has this look on her face. That's always like, now I'm picking up this box. I'm putting this box over here. And then she considers it and she like does it again. Yeah. yeah. And like, I would just watch hours of that video. I think it's, 
I think it's the most endearing thing. Um, but anyways, there's a great video on the site of Addy demoing the Oculus Touch, which is really great. Um, that's the stuff that I think is wild, right? The How do we do extra kinds of control? How do we integrate the head tracking? And it's just everything that you add to it. That's what That's my question about VR is you're like, you'll make it cheap. We'll do it on our phones. And then all of the experiences that are truly next generation require you to like strap things to your hands and put a camera in your house to track your head. And it, it just feels like a lot of other problems have to get solved for this to get truly mainstream. Yeah, I think so. But like, I'm just not even tripping about that. Like, like this is an inc- it's an incredibly hard technical problem. They're inventing a new medium from scratch. Like, when was the last time you were present at the birth of a medium? Right. Like, of course, it's going to be it's going to be rocky, and they're not going to have figured out the hardware right away. And like, there's going to be shitty stuff. But like, I have seen stuff in VR that if I were just like an eight year old child and you showed it to me, I would make you let me do it 15 times a day because it was so cool. So like, it's already crossed some sort of threshold where it's awesome. How that eventually gets to people, like we will figure it out. I, you know, the the thing that I keep thinking about is like just VR arcades, you know, like you will pay five bucks and you'll get to go walk around for a couple hours and, you know, try out five or six different experiences. You know, I did that. Um, I did that when I was 12. No, but that that sucked. Yeah, I know it sucked. Yeah, of course I loved it. Um, Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Like arcades were amazing. Yeah. (laughs) I have like a very tangential thought about VR that I thought of today. Um, and it's just it was, it's more about the film side of it, obviously, because that's what I end up thinking about yeah. with VR. But um, that, you know, like we've seen in the past year or so, and we'll definitely see with Star Wars this year, like an overall push towards more practical effects. I think if VR becomes a more common, not even like fully adopted by everybody, but it's at least something that majority of people have tried. Practical effects are going to be back in a major way because nobody wants to experience it it's going the, the the difference between a computer generated environment and a real environment is going to be night and day in vr right and i think that that's going to be really exciting then um but yeah that was all my that was that's my, why uh, but how would you do like miniatures in vr i mean that would that all that seems crazy i think well yeah you could do miniatures in vr sure but, but then you couldn't because don't you stitch together miniature effect shots like yeah i mean you'd have to be creative with it i don't know yeah. i mean i was just thinking about it I was thinking about it in terms of um, Mad Max. Okay. Like Mad Max, the VR version of Mad Max, which is most like I, there was very, very little in, in the way of like computer effects and that. That was a bunch of cars in the desert, like right. actually there. If you were in like suspended in that environment, 360 degrees, like shot on film, like that would look incredible. I think that you'd see like that the more personal the medium gets, the more in front of your eyes, the more fully immersive, the more that our kind of little... Uh, I don't know. Stopgap is too janky sounding for it, but like just our short, short kind of shortcuts with effects and, uh, and environments is it's going to be more apparent. Mm. Huh? I mean, I just keep thinking like all, I don't know. I, <laughs> the, it, what Casey's saying is right. This is a birth of a new medium. And like the problem between, or the, not the problem, the disconnect between the people who are going to invent the first language and the people who grow up with that language and invent the good language, mm-hmm. I, I'm wondering how long it's going to be, right? Like yeah. the people who grow up knowing sort of what the medium can do instinctively and start to push it versus the people who are like, let's apply filmmaking to this right, new medium. Right. And you just wonder how long, how long it will take before the true potential of VR comes out because the people who are making this stuff like really understand it. 
Well, the whole point of VR is like that you, there's the device becomes invisible, ideally, right? Mm-hmm. Like that the the perfect VR situation is that you don't you forget that you're wearing a headset and you're in some other room, like you are completely transported. So I feel like it's it's going to be more about things that actually feel transportive than like you know pe- when people talk about taking kids on field trips with 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 VR, like that that kind of experience is going to be the real like jump forward. I feel like. Um, man. Yeah. I, I, don't, <laughs> I, I, I have such conflicted ideas about VR. I, like, <laughs> I, I just, do you think that they should just stop Neli? Do you think that like, it's just never going to work? So why even bother? No, I don't know. I, I do think it's going to work. I completely think it's going to work. It's just, I don't know what I want it to do. And I don't know that like, we should be that alone together because that mm. what, that, what VR like, the ultimate, if the f- kids on a field trip, it's not example, a world we're going to live in, though. It's an experience that you get to have, right? It's like going well, to the movies. Who knows, though? I mean, yeah. yeah, I I feel like it could be either. Uh, but I think like if it's networked VR, where you're able to be in another place together with other people, that's like what that's the internet is, though, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. So like yeah. we're all behind. We all work on computers. We all sit at desks right now. And, and I, I, I want to say this right now to the audience. Walt Mossberg is in our Slack. Yeah, that's if we, true. Like, if, if this is a it's distracted so cool. Verge cast, that's that's why. Yeah, if yeah. if Dieter and I keep anxiously looking at our computer screens yeah, yeah. to make sure no one's like putting porn gifs at Walt, right. that's that's what's happening. Uh, um, can I also well, can I just this... say he's he's really good at Slack. Like he's very <laughs> funny. He's like cracking jokes. Oh, like yeah. it's amazing. He's yeah. in the mix. Yeah. Um, so yeah. let me ask you, since you're on Skype and I feel like I have to, let me ask you like the, 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 the morning zoo kind of questions that, that you get when you do a Skype interview, <laughs> Casey. Uh, so this zoo. is a giant games convention. Who won Sony or Microsoft? <laughs> what is that voice? Uh, that's the, that's uh, a radio voice. Sam doesn't know what the radio is. You think so? You think so? Huh? Why? Yeah. Um, so they won because they actually have games coming out between now and December, which is not really something that Sony can say. They made an incredibly uh, fan-friendly move in saying they were going to make at least some Xbox 360 games uh, work on your Xbox One uh, and just deliver those to you as digital downloads. Um, it was almost the exact reverse of last year when Sony had all these fan-friendly announcements and Microsoft was still you know, terrified that you were going to play their games while you were disconnected from the internet. So <laughs> I think they learned... A big lesson from that backlash. Uh, they're present, like we all left that that presentation, looking at each other, saying like that, like we can't remember the last time we saw an E3 presentation that had that many like cool games and had like nothing uh, actively offensive in it. Right. Um, so you know, I, I don't think that Sony had a, a terrible showing. I do think it sucks for them that they don't really have any big titles coming out anytime soon. Uh, but most of their announcements were geared toward like the hardest of the hardcore fan base. Uh, You know, like, you have to be a little bit of a video game nerd to get excited about what's going on at E3, but, like, you know, their announcements were like, all right, so if you owned a Sega Dreamcast, you're probably, you probably remember this Japanese RPG. (laughs) And and I'm like, I'm on Wikipedia being like, what is the, what's going on? There's a Kickstarter for it? Like, I don't know. Um, What about the Final Fantasy VII reboot? Mm. I am like, again, like I, Final Fantasy was never my jam. So I'm like asking around about this and people were explaining to me that it was like the most emo RPG ever released. 
Uh, like one of my colleagues here described it as the My Chemical Romance of video games. <laughs> oh um, my God, that's wow. perfect. Ooh, that is uh, perfect. I don't even like so My Chemical I, Romance, but yeah. <laughs> so, I, so I guess I'm looking forward to playing it. Um, but, I mean, uh, you know, based on what they've said, it sounds like we won't see it before 2018. Yeah, I also kind of assume they're going to screw it up. I, yeah. I don't know why, but I mean, I'm a final, I mean... I just, I'm just saying. I mean, that's my Final only Fantasy. one of my few entry points for games is Final Fantasy, particularly Final Fantasy VII, yeah. and I don't. Can, I don't can, can one of you just quickly give me the plot of Final Fantasy VII? No. <laughs> yep. No, Emily, go ahead. Emily, Emily here, Emily, hit me. Do it. Hit me. Dystopia, uh, terrorists. Uh, she dies at the end. <laughs> wow. <laughs> Rough, rough, rough. <laughs> no, but it's good. It's a, I mean, it, it's like a very, it was a very special. I, I, I didn't, and the weird thing is that I didn't go from that to being a full-time gamer. Like, I played that. I loved that. I played, like, the next couple of Final Fantasy games, and I was like, that's it. I'm cool. Yeah, yeah. I feel um, like I did that with Metal Gear. Like, I really mm. burned through Metal Gear. And really, dystopia, terrorism, he dies at the end. Yeah. <laughs> it's, like, it's very much the same game. Uh, Casey Newton, what was the favorite thing you oh, wow. played Back at E3? um my so they actually like all the stuff that i wanted to play they did not let me get my hands on it so i did not get to play uncharted 4 i did not get to play deus ex mankind divided uh and i didn't get to play uh tomb raider uh but those three things were my favorite demos uh they're just absolutely in my wheelhouse uh, i hate that i'm just telling you about sequels to games <laughs> that will all sell millions like i do not have a hipster answer <laughs> to this question for oh what you. about that cup um, that cup game oh yeah cuphead oh, cuphead. Yeah, cuphead that looks great so, cuphead it's it looks adorable i actually i would love to play that too it's um sort of based on the 1930s cartoon style that uh it was sort of like the old steamboat willy cartoons from disney except it's like a side scrolling a platform game and based on the demo they show it actually looks really hard <laughs> like Casey, does, the poor, will it, will it play yeah. will it play the way it looks aesthetically because it really looks like a cartoon yeah it looks it like you're in does. it has like a film effect on it yeah which is cool yeah I think it's. Um, Did it's you see gameplay be, or just you know or just like demo footage? They showed demo footage, um, and it you know it looks um, like it'll move a lot faster than any uh, Steamboat Willie cartoon that you ever saw. <laughs> I mean, like, um, but uh, but I love the idea. Like the style's really great, and and a lot of people were uh, were talking about that game. Well, that's um, like I that's... saw that. Oh, go ahead. No, sorry. Well, I was going to say, if, if you do want one sort of like indie hipster answer to what's a cool thing you played, I did get to play a game called uh, Abzu, uh, which I wrote about. Uh, it's up on the site, and it's from the art director of Journey, which is, you know, this beloved, uh, critically acclaimed uh, indie hit game for PlayStation. And in this one, like, once again, you're this kind of solo figure. You don't really know who you are. You wake up in the ocean, and you're a diver, and you can just sort of dive down and explore the world and try to figure out who you are. And um, they've, uh, they've you know, uh, uh, animated just tens of thousands of fish. And you can kind of, like, you have infinite air supply. And so it's like this really kind of calm, meditative game. And I played it after, uh, you know, dying as an astronaut in virtual reality. <laughs> so it was like a, it was a very needed tonic. But you, <laughs> to you love chill games. Let I me mean, I mean, tell a story about Casey. Yeah. Here we go. Uh, yeah. So Casey and I were at the Code Conference. I was sitting several rows away from Casey. And Casey had been blogging for like, I don't know, 11 hours straight. We were exhausted. And like the CEO of Target is just like, 
droning on about the future of retail. And I look at Casey. Casey's straight up just playing Alto's Revenge on his iPad. <laughs> just doing some flips. Just like bringing it down. Just like just snowboarding down the mountain. And finally, yeah, he's like, ah. And finally he dies. And he looks up. And he like looks around. And he looks back longingly at his iPad to see if he should play again. And he like puts it away. Like opens the laptop. <laughs> It was, a, it was a real moment. I wish I'd captured it all. I didn't, I didn't ruin it. I didn't even tell him about it at the time. It was just one of those, like, you watch somebody else doing something, and you, you're completely in their headspace. Like, you know, I knew all of Casey's emotions throughout that entire process, because I, too, was watching the CEO of Target and wishing I was playing a snowboarding game on my iPad. And then he was just like, well... Hold it. Go ahead. Full disclosure, that's that's also me on almost every Verge conference call. Uh, <laughs> I, I, I actually do find there's like I, like uh, there, there's something like I don't know. It's like you just like kind of keep your hands busy, and it, it actually helps me focus sometimes a little bit better on what's being said. Although I will cop to completely ignoring the target presentation. <laughs> conference. Um, so were there a lot of indie games at E3? That I feel like the indie game roller coaster is kind of in a down moment, and the mobile game roller coaster is in a down moment. And we're all about the big console launches right now. Yeah, I would say like the mobile game stuff in particular, you're absolutely right. There was just not a ton of mobile stuff to look at. And, um, you know, that's fine. Like the monetization schemes on mobile games are so gross that it's like it's hard for me to get excited about them. Um, but, you know, on the indie front, I actually thought that um, for the for the two biggies, uh, Microsoft and Sony, they gave a, a good amount of screen time to independent games. Uh, you know, Cuphead was one of them. Uh, Abzu uh I guess Abzu, I can't remember if that got shown at the Sony presentation or not, but, you know, both of them set aside time during their, uh, their presentations, showed off uh, some stuff, and, and a lot of those games looked really good. So, you know, I don't know that uh, indie games had some sort of, like, crazy breakout year, but they're clearly, like, part of the mix now, and companies like Microsoft and Sony feel like they have to showcase them to kind of send the right message to, uh, to developers and fans that they are about more than just the AAA stuff. Right. I think, I mean, it's just so funny to watch Microsoft and you're saying Microsoft came away the winner, just how far backwards they've walked from the Xbox one, which is supposed to be this like living room bundled with connect. And it's going to like watch your TV for you and like read your emotions and then maybe like change the channel. You know, it's like all the stuff it was going to do. And now it's like a console game with a bunch of triple A titles and they're really giving time to indie developers because that, that's the true promise of the console, right? Well, it's true. And, like, I mean, you know, so I'm somebody who enjoys, like, playing AAA games and who doesn't watch all that much TV. And so the, like, Xbox One, as it described, was not a thing that I wanted. I didn't want to connect. I didn't want to talk to my TV. I didn't want a DVR. Like, I wanted something that would make the next Tomb Raider look incredible. And they finally started to build that. So, you know, I, maybe it's uh, it's like a, a strategic loss for them that they weren't able to take over the living room but if you love to play video games like i like i i don't know how you are going to be too disappointed with what's going on at xbox right now yeah i think i mean and that's just there's like a little bit of more microsoft news we i actually we have to read an ad casey we've got to let you go um and we talk about mike the next bit of microsoft news yeah yeah but uh, before before all of that that elite controller oh we I didn't talk about the controller think did I'm you play it. with it yeah uh uh no i stood next to it and like watched a guy kind of play around with it like my my own suspicion like if i had it is that i would like swap those buttons around three or four times and i would say like i've only managed to confuse myself and then we just go back <laughs> to the original configuration so like 
if you're an elite like Call of Duty player and you need to like be able to hot swap your D-pad, like <laughs> go for it. But otherwise, like to me, it just looked like a fetish object for game obsessives. <laughs> like, yeah, it's more a than fetish object practical. where you hot swap your D-pad. Hot so, swap your D-pad. That's, yeah. a, that's a fetish. John, I think people. we got the episode <laughs> title. <laughs> just putting that down. All right. Um, okay. Well, Casey, uh, thanks for joining us. We'll, uh, you know, we'll, we'll have you on the show some other time. We love you, Casey. It was my great pleasure. Enjoy and, hot uh, swapping. Enjoy hot swapping your D-pad, bro. All right. <laughs> here we go. I'm good. <laughs> All right. Let me read this thing. Here's the thing that I'm going to tell you about building the perch. It was hard. Yeah. No, it's, 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 the idea that I'm going to, I'm going to like move into, we should have done it on Squarespace. I don't think it's going to play, no. but I built my own website before. Have you built a website? I have many. I, um, I've actually built a number of, uh, Sam Sheffer fan sites. Um, hand-coded, of course, lovingly. Uh, it was difficult, but here's the thing. You can just use Squarespace, and it'll be easy, and that'd be great. And you'll get a site that's professionally designed, regardless of your skill level. You don't need to do any coding. The tools are intuitive and easy to use. There's state-of-the-art technology powering your site, and so you get security and stability right away. And it's trusted by millions of people and some of the most respected brands in the world. It's only $8 a month. You get a free domain if you sign up for a year. And you can just start your free trial today. Uh, we don't even need a credit card. You just go to squarespace.com. When you decide to sign up for Squarespace, you can use the offer code VERGE to get 10% off your first purchase. So Squarespace, build it beautiful. All right. So just really quick, to before we, we go, there's a bunch of entertainment stuff we have to talk about. Yeah. Um, Microsoft at E3 was like the big winner. But at the end of E3, uh, they announced that they're like, they're shaking up their entire leadership. They fired Mark Penn, who was the head of advertising. Yeah. They fired Stephen Elop, who yeah. was the CEO of Nokia, and they bought Nokia. Yeah. They, they married, fired their married, head of – they uh, fired Joe, Joe, Joe Harlow. They fired yeah, Joe Harlow. Yeah. So this Microsoft is, like, contracting. There's not a lot to say. Like, this is all expected. What, yeah. So the the ruthlessness with which they kind of, like, excised the leadership of Nokia out of Microsoft's leadership was – Interesting. Ah, it took a while. Yeah, it took a little while, I guess. Um, but so I have feelings about what they ended up with, mm -hmm. um, which is they've got like a, a Windows slash stuff that runs Windows division uh, under Terry Meyerson. Yeah. They've got like a enterprise cloud division for cloud stuff and yeah. Azure. And they've got uh, like an apps division for like office stuff. And no, but, that all makes sense to me. Yeah, that's like that's how it should be. And, like, I couldn't have told you what their organizational structure was before, but, like, that's how it should be now. Yeah. And it, it makes perfect sense to me. And I, it seems I, like I everything seems like a good move to me. Because I want to mention the fact that Stephen Elop, usurper, is uh, <laughs> my new favorite character in all of technology. The man who, the locust who destroys your world. Um, and that's it. That's really all I wanted to mention. That's I, think, it. I think Stephen Elop should take over more companies and sell them to Microsoft. Did uh, you see that Mark Penn is now going to hang out with Steve Ballmer? I, that doesn't none of those words make any sense to me okay um okay emily there's a bunch to talk about but i think most importantly we should talk about thrones oh th oh yeah. yeah i mean what what are the other things to talk about Wait, we, uh, we have jurassic world on this list spoiler um i mean a, a, bunch, a bunch of stuff hey guys we're gonna we're gonna spoil if game you are listening to the verge cast and you haven't seen the end of game of thrones like, I, don't, I don't say to you you're in a very particular demographic <laughs> that we have not <laughs> plotted for <laughs> oh, no, really? No. Our oh producer John God. hasn't John, seen it. What are you doing, man? Yet. All right. Well, we're at John. I'm sorry, bro. All right. So the next the next 20 minutes of the Vergecast are going to sound terrible because our producer is going to run out of the control room. Uh, yeah. 
dystopia, <laughs> terrorism. <laughs> he dies. At the end. <laughs> uh, yeah. Uh, so I have read and listened to a lot of recaps and and uh, analysis of this this finale of of Game of Thrones since uh, since even since doing my final scoring of the Game of Game of Thrones. Um, and obviously, uh, so so I think now, and I was I was misled because I thought that this I thought that this um, this season was partially partially Feast of Crow, Feast for Crows and partially Dance with Dance with Dragons. Yeah. Dance, yeah. With dragons? dance around dragons. <laughs> dance around <laughs> the dragons. Um, but the I new guess... George Michael dance track. <laughs> <laughs> but is there any like you've read the books, Dieter? Is there anything yeah. that has not been covered yet? In... Like, there's a bunch of like side stories that they could get to, mm-hmm. uh, but in terms of chronology of like what's happening in the plot they've pretty much reached the same point. Right. There's a bunch of stuff that obviously happened in the books that hasn't happened. And some of that stuff has been alluded to by the show. Right. Where they, they started some things and then left, let it off, let go of it. Uh-huh. Uh, so there's still Talk a few Talk about the Brotherhood things. Without Banners? I, I might be. Okay. Um, I mean, dude, we're in the spoiler zone. Just put it out there. It's I mean, fine. No, I, no, don't spoil the books. I uh, mean... Well... Well, but there's nothing else to spoil now. That's my, that was well, my main question. The, like, I don't know. Yeah, I think that we are... Like, I'm not worried about spoilers generally. Okay. And I don't think that there's anything in the books that it's going to like spoil the show at this point, except for like two. Having the books diver or the show diverge from what the books. Yeah. 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 There's also that. I'm also like not like a perfectly cataloged expert on what is in the books. I've got vague memories because man, they're, they're long and they're kind of bad. But we have some like, <laughs> yeah, that's the thing that's kept me away from the books is every time I see an excerpt of the books or like a teaser of the new one, I read it. And I'm like, these are not yeah. written terribly well. I uh, So I've only read the first one and I read it after I'd seen the first season of the show. And so I could read it like I was sleepwalking. I was like, right. oh, I remember all these things. Like now I'm just getting more details. Like when I, I like... I always compare it to reading the novelizations of the Star Wars movies after right, yeah. seeing them because this, the first one was actually written by George Lucas and it has all sorts of nerdy details that you would not have known wow. just watching the film. So I got like a lot of my nerd background knowledge from, from just <laughs> reading the novelizations. But yeah, so that was sort of what reading uh, Game of Is the first book called Game of Thrones? No, no it's a Song, Song of Ice and Fire. No, that's the name of the series. Oh, oh yeah! Uh, the, oh god! I, I think we, the first we one all is this. a Game of Thrones. Um, so many people are freaking out right now. Yeah. Oh like my we god! Just, we just caused like car accidents. What's yeah, the, Emily, sh- what's the Thrones, name of the right. show that I like? Um, what's the bad guy on it? Uh, yeah, no, I. So yeah, though that was my main. <laughs> More my accidents, phone, by the way. My phone starts. <laughs> no, it's just emails from Casey. I'm just. <laughs> Uh, no, Casey's emailing no, you. The it's a Game of Thrones. Yeah, right. I yeah. was right. You're I knew right. it had an extra uh, particle in there. Oh, this um, was written in '96. Yeah, yeah. Oh. These things are old. Wow. So, um, so yeah. I mean, my main. So, so an interesting thing to me is that people who read the books knew that. Spoiler alert: 
Jon Snow dies at the end of A Dance uh, Dragon. Emily go. just made extremely sarcastic scare quotes with her did hands. He, I just want get... everyone listening to know that. <laughs> well, she said dies. She literally brought up her hands and then went like, like waved them uh, like, like, he... like Velociraptor claws. <laughs> oh, I wish I had the Velociraptor claws that Jurassic World sent us upstairs for any time I do scare like, quotes. I've never seen scare quotes more sarcastically deployed. <laughs> well, it's just because I wrote that he died. I didn't even comment on it. Yeah. In our recap, because I have read so much of people saying, "Oh, he's not dead yet. He's not right. dead yet." But all I have to work with is what's in the episode. Well, I don't have. Yeah, if you technically want to, you could go to Kit Harrington's own comments on it. Yeah, outside yeah. Of the Show and wherein he he could be trying to deke us out. But no, he did I think say, he I'm is. Dead. You think he's deking us yeah, out? Yeah, I mean, it's like when when Benedict Cumberbatch said that I'm not con. Like, right. you know, it's a they are. That's part of their job. That's like yeah. probably part of their contract. Like, yeah. you will tell whatever lies to the press. <laughs> we need we need you to tell in order to keep this dream alive. Uh, yeah, no, because it's like because at that point it becomes then a spoiler for the next book. Which then is a spoiler for everybody. They're not worried about spoiling the books anymore uh, from the TV show. They, they've like they've said, "Look, like we're just going to keep. We know where the books are going. We talked to George R. R. Martin. Wait, and I wanna, we're just going to go I, forward. We're like in the the nerdy weeds this, of the yeah. books versus okay. show. Versus but here's should I just what, say exactly what happened? No, just no. 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 Say what, what you think of this no, series. What I, what I, this season. Uh-huh. I'm just like. Aren't we all murdered out on this show? Yes. Is there anybody yeah. left to die? Like, do you care about anyone anymore? Yeah, I mean, yeah. Uh, <laughs> I have to say, I think a lot of people were kind of grossed out or or like over it with when Arya killed Marin Trant. And I thought it was kind of awesome. <laughs> and I thought they actually managed to not make it gross the way that I thought it was going to be gross. Yeah, I yeah, mean, yeah. she's yes. undercover as a child prostitute, but luckily we don't really see that. We see a little bit of that being extremely unpleasant, right. but mostly she just pops up and gouges his eyes out, which is kind of great. Right. Uh, and I didn't, yeah. And that was such an unconflicted feeling of satisfaction in that scene where it's like, yeah, I'll watch this guy get a, towel shoved down his throat i don't care like (laughs) um whereas you know something like cersei doing her big walk of shame that's something that just gets very very punishing after a while but i think like i think to good effect though i think that that was like an interesting thing for her character to go through as opposed to some other bad things that have happened to other characters on the show that don't seem as interesting or don't seem like they're actually going to lead to a big change Right. Um, well, and I mean, at the end of that walk, it was it was acted incredibly well because mm-hmm. she could have just done her like her resting Cersei face where she's like resolved mm-hmm. and angry. And, <laughs> but she didn't like there was there was like a, there was like more than the usual amount of like, I don't know, uncertainty in her mm-hmm. expression when she got picked up by the mountain. Yeah. Yeah. Or whatever she was just like now. a broken person yeah. at the end of it. But she like tried to have resting Cersei face. She tried mm-hmm. to be resolved, but yeah. like couldn't quite pull it off. And she tried, she managed it for a really long time. Yeah. And that was, that was kind of incredible to see. Like, you know, I think that's something you kind of wonder abstractly about that character. Like how deep does her evilness go? Mm-hmm. Like how long could she just hang on to that? turns out a really long time yeah. while walking naked through a street while people are throwing food at her. She kind of maintains her face. Right. And then, you know, the last whatever, 17 minutes or however long that was, <laughs> uh, she kind of breaks down. But that, I mean, I mean, that the thing about the mountain being brought back to life, that's not in the books, right? Yeah, it is. It is? Mm-hmm. Oh, I was told it wasn't. Um, well, he might not actually be back yet, but like the 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 dude is performing the dark experiments, and you can, can like see it coming. Um, I'm I'm into that. I'm into. <laughs> 
Yeah, I'm into, I mean, I'm, I'm into a new kind of weirdness on the show or a new kind of like uh, vaguely magical weirdness. To but we've I'm, been hinting at a different kind of vaguely magical weirdness for, and like it, this show, it just keeps building to resolutions that never arrive or that get thwarted. And that's its only move. Mm-hmm. There's no, never- its only move is to, I mean, you never get the resolutions. They either get thwarted or you keep waiting. But the other thing that I'm tired of is just oppressively just throwing in our face, this is a bad dude. Yeah. Did you, did, did you know that dude was bad? Let me show you again how bad yeah, that dude yeah. is. Oh, yeah. That dude that you heard was bad? Guess what? Still bad. Really <laughs> bad. <laughs> well, this is something that comes up also in uh, this 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 weekend's premiere of True Detective. Oh, really? I don't know if you guys want to talk about that or not. I do. I sure. realized that I had a very loud conversation with Lizzie in the office uh, about an hour ago. Yeah, I, oh, no. I, I put on headphones. <laughs> Because we've both seen the the first few episodes of it, and so I was like, "Oh, and when Colin Farrell did blah 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 blah," and it's like, and then I felt really bad about that afterwards. But um, but yeah, I mean, but that's something that you know, I can say, in, I can say in the broadest strokes, yeah. or is something that comes up in, in the reviews I've read for that so far. Just like we get it, the world is is dark and full of shadows. <laughs> uh, you know, it's there's there's not it's it's really hard to tell what the ends are of that. Um, aside from being, I guess, like surface level interesting, just because it's, I, I guess we still think of it as being unexpected to see people that we root for doing bad things, even though that is the majority of entertainment now. Uh, it's, yeah, it's, it's hard to tell what thing the creators are trying to convey. Right. To Other you. than just general dystopia. Yeah. Terrorism. And I'm not saying he that, dies at the end. Yes. <laughs> and I'm not saying everything has to have a message. I'm like, I'm very I at the same time, I don't want to have like a moral to every episode of Game of Thrones. But, you know, I a lot of Game of Thrones to me remains interesting because it's so massive that you can actually see these very incremental cause and effect things ripple throughout the world. And that's just satisfying no matter what the thing is that mm-hmm. happens. But, you know, bigger picture, like, why? Like, zoom way out and ask George R. R. Martin, okay, so you could have written anything that you wanted. Why did you choose to set your story in Death and Rape Land? Like, yeah. is that a place you enjoy hanging out? Uh, <laughs> I, I don't know. <laughs> it's, it's, I mean, it's a matter of taste for sure, but it, and it, it's not something you can say is wrong or amoral to portray, but you can question the artist for wanting to spend time in that world. And who he chooses to redeem, right? Which, yeah. which is... The thing about the bad people in Game of Thrones is like the people who were relentlessly portrayed in, as bad during the first season, all almost all of them have experienced redemptive arcs. So like you mm-hmm. feel really bad for Jamie Lannister in this last episode. Yeah. Right. But in like the third episode, he's like killing a dude. You know, like Yeah. That's rough. That's like that's a crazy arc for that person. But then other people like Ramsey Bolton is never getting a redemptive yeah. arc. It's yeah. never gonna ha- we're, we're yeah. never gonna feel bad for that guy. Right. And it's like, why do we choose? Why? Like, how are you making these choices? Well, yeah. And I think a thing that came up, I think somebody in the comments on one week uh, compared it to the Joker, which I haven't read enough actual Batman comics to know Mm -hmm. about. But apparently that's a character that the authors of that comic have always gone out of their way to protect or let him win or have victories. Yeah. um, To like you know, supposedly to uh, counteract the expected thing of having the hero always win and, and come out on top in the end. 
But after a while, and this is also something Addie kind of wrote about in her thing about um, kind of being overthrown. It's like it's just as predictable and stereotypical at a certain point to have Ramsey Bolton always get his way. Right. Right. Um, there's nothing, you know, subversive about that anymore. Especially when you're saying that's like the dominant mode. Yeah. In storytelling. Right. Yeah. Now, which is like bad people are doing stuff. Yeah. If if somebody really if somebody good had a baggage free or not even if there was baggage I don't know say if somebody had just had a victory a good person had a victory on the show it would feel genuinely shocking at this point it would be really surprising and you would keep checking to make sure there wasn't some kind of catch <laughs> <laughs> well maybe um, that maybe maybe this is all just an elaborate setup well yeah I mean you hope you would well, I mean if that's how it ends where everybody dies and everybody loses and that then it's a failure as a piece who's of who's left that's a good person in this story. Tyrion. Um, Arya, Tyrion, Tyrion Arya. Daenerys, and her crew. Is Daenerys a good person? Daenerys is problematic, but I think she's ultimately a good person. Right. Uh, I mean, she's somebody that is has been presented to us as a protagonist. Right. She is flawed for sure. Uh, who else is good? I don't know. Yeah. Uh, Jorah. Tommen. Yeah, I mean, the, what what the little little tree kid little. Brand. A little tree kid, Brand. yeah. Oh yeah, tree kid. Yeah, we're gonna go back and visit him next season. Yeah. Apparently, he's gonna probably have completely gone through puberty, so it'll be, <laughs> it'll be weird. <laughs> hey man, when you when you when you mind meld with a tree, strange things happen to your body. <laughs> I think it's I think it's wild to watch this show because I you know I, I'm sure a lot of people do this. I watch Game of Thrones and I, I watch Silicon Valley, and Silicon Valley has the exact same narrative structure, which is worse. <laughs> yeah, no, but yeah. it's like, but it has the same narrative. It's like, oh, they're gonna, oh, they, oh, they fucked it up again. Yeah. Uh, oh, they got their own way. Oh, this totally predictable disaster has occurred, mm-hmm. and it's just, it's just this drumbeat of like they keep mining failure for humor. Mm-hmm. And and like the characters, actually, I think on this season of Silicon Valley got better. Oh, really? They got yeah. They're like ever so much more developed. Like you understand why they do some things sometimes. Mm. Many times yeah. you don't, but you know, like it's just funny because most of what they do is still, you know, coming so in... close to a victory and yeah. then like literally hitting the delete key and all of their code. It's like, why did you, why? Yeah. It's like, it's, it's a comedy is such a different thing to judge things by though. I think we expect, or like, I don't know, like how many times does like Jerry win on <laughs> Seinfeld, you know, or, or, you know, kind of a lot. Yeah, I, mean, I mean, he always George gets girls. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But the George is like usually the funnier character Kramer is too. Like, yeah, that's true. Like they become they come off looking foolish in the end. Like everybody looks like a jerk and they're like foolish, and that's yeah you know, why we laugh at them. Whereas if that's like set up for dramatic effect, it's sort of I don't know. It can feel more repetitive. Yeah, but um, I think maybe that the, it's just the watching them back to back where it's like. Here's the exact same narrative structure being mine to make me laugh instead of to make me feel no, really that's, bad. No, that's that's by design. That it's the HBO understands that you need the unicorn chaser. I was not going to say this because I was going to write it after seeing how it goes with True Detective, and then what's the new show? Ballers. Ballers. Oh, I'm super and, excited for Ballers. And the, uh, oh my god, Ballers. Uh, ballers <laughs> and the Brink, which looks terrible. Yeah. The so, Brink looks awful. Yeah. The Brink. Wait, what was that movie with Richard uh, Robert Downey Jr. in blackface? That's what the oh, break uh, looks like. Uh, th- Tropic Thunder. Thunder. It looks like Tropic Thunder, but with like the UN. The d- the best part of Tropic oh, Thunder was the, the trailers. Either. I think yeah. everything that was the flaw of that movie is the trailers. At the beginning of that movie are so good that the rest of the movie can't possibly like match yeah. up to. Although it's been a while since I've seen it, so maybe I'll take that back. No, but. But so when you watch a really dark show, especially if you're like with somebody, you don't want to just. You might not want to sit there in that bummer zone. You might want to like 
watch something light to like cleanse mm-hmm. your palate. And so HBO intentionally takes some like haha lighthearted thing oh, and puts it after the dark thing. Yeah. Uh, to go on that, Dieter, um, props to the HBO scheduler planner because Game of Thrones ended one week ago and now True Detective season well, two. Yeah, I mean, so they do that every year. They do yeah. that every that's year. just how they're doing it. I mean, that's just, that's. That's my contribution because I don't watch Game You know of what's Thrones. interesting about this, that thesis is that it is the exact opposite of Netflix's thesis, which is right. you watch the terrible torture porn of Daredevil and then you like, You'd keep doing it over and over and over again. Not to get on this hard, but I'm curious to hear Emily's thoughts on this because I don't know if I ever have. Emily, how do you feel about like what has happened to the idea of gathering together and watching a TV show versus just like binge watching the shit out of something, you know, I feel like it's sort of ruined like the water cooler conversation. And this is just going to keep continuing with Netflix. Oh, you mean like binging something? Where they just dump, they dump the episodes on Netflix and you you just watch it whenever you want versus like, Oh, did you see game of Thrones last night? Oh, I think that there's something very, very flawed with Netflix's model. Uh, I mean, I think that they, I don't see a situation in which they'll stop. I think there's some of their kids shows they roll out week by week or they do a couple episodes at a time but like what are your thoughts bad or good so you didn't mean you didn't mean watching together like watching in a room physically with other people i meant uh, here let me rephrase is it is it because <laughs> that's this is weird. a really that's simple gross question and weird it is it is, it is it is a very simple question do you do you like the fact that netflix dumps seasons at a time no uh, i don't okay. yeah no i, I think it makes it well. I mean, and I've only experienced that from the perspective as, as somebody who has to either edit things that people write about that or write about those things. Uh, so that makes it hard because it's like, what do I do? When do I put this stuff out? Um, yeah. And I mean, I guess the only right answer is to watch all of those things as quickly as you can, right. and then write. Apparently, you're very clear-headed, uh, <laughs> good, per- well-perspectived uh, thoughts about the show, which is just isn't going to happen after like bleeding your eyes out from watching like 12 hours of house of cards um i mean i I don't know there's i think that they do they they produce the the shows differently um from from yeah on netflix versus hbo i think yeah and it's funny because you don't think of tv as an episodic format anymore when you're watching things on netflix which it's not good or bad it's just like the difference between an episode written by one person or directed by one person or like it all kind of bleeds together. You're like, oh, when did that happen to Piper? I can't even remember. Mm-hmm. Like, if, mm-hmm. if we're going to talk about random Netflix things, can I just say yeah, that go for it. I really there's something I really miss watching on Netflix movies. They don't, How much movies? They don't have movies. I, I don't know. I, the the catalog just seems like there's like one thing a month that I like discover is like, oh, yeah, that that's worth watching. But it's just. A C, it's all TV. That's all they push it on me is TV, TV, yeah. TV. And like the whole reason I signed up for Netflix was for movies. Yeah. Well, I think I think Netflix is just morphing into an all online version of HBO, or HBO yeah. is morphing into a, a semi TV version right. of Netflix right. because you're gonna have these cycling through of different movies, which is exactly what HBO does. Yep. I mean, I watch movies on HBO Go yeah. sometimes. Like, I mean, I watch movies on both HBO Go and Netflix. Like, just depending on if, you know how much housework I have to do or how many dishes I have to wash. Like, um, <laughs> but yeah, I mean, it's, but it's the same thing. It's like a cycling through of a different catalog of movies every month or couple months. And then, uh, and then your big shows, your big shows you have to watch so you can talk to your friends and maintain a social life. I yeah. just think the thing, this, <laughs> I have so many thoughts. You could this. do it, Eli. No, it's just, it's, 
Netflix had this line. They just kept – Reed Hastings kept saying, we have to come HBO before HBO becomes us, right? Yeah. Yes. And what HBO did was they tried to become Netflix. They hired a guy from Microsoft. They built this huge tech platform. And they're like, you know what? This blows. Like, this is awful. This is a huge waste of money. Screw it. They threw it all out. They hired MLB Advanced Media to build HBO Now. It's a commodity. That company will just build it for you. And now they have it. And now they're spending all of their money on Game of Thrones and Ballers and True Detective. And marketing. And, and marketing. But they're better at it. Yeah. Like, I would say that the average HBO show is better plotted and paced and makes more sense than any Netflix series that I've seen so far. Except perhaps the first, the first season of House of Cards. Yeah, I mean, well, HBO still has to deal with a slate of uh, of shows or like a schedule, right. like so they can only really run like four shows maybe at a time, like right. weekly. Um, usually three though, because it's like one big drama or no two big dramas and then uh, two comedies. That's usually what they have uh, at any different at any given point of the year. Um, Whereas I feel like Netflix keeps piling on the shows. There are so many Netflix shows now. Most yeah. of them I've never seen before. Right. Um, but I always feel like there's one main Netflix show that you're supposed to watch. Every, yeah. Any given, like Orange is the New Black. Like, that's what I'm supposed to be watching right now. Right. Netflix. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, I don't know. It's also like, it's also just a, I mean, HBO has been around for a long time and they kind of have always had a little bit of a patina of prestige to them. Like that's even before they started doing like TV shows or doing original series, it's been, uh, it's been like a thing, a fancy thing that rich people have to have HBO. So, yeah. um, I didn't have it growing up. Yeah, no, I don't know anybody. Yeah, it was not a How normal long has it thing. Around for eighties, <laughs> nothing. <laughs> yeah. we didn't, we didn't, my, my, uh, my sister and I are given the oh, choice wow. between MTV and HBO, and we picked HBO. Nineteen seventy-two. Wow. wow. Um, I really wanted MTV. My sister was older and. She got whatever she wanted. Stupid. Oh my god. Right. I've been told it. I've been told this story. <laughs> now that we spoil my the crap sibling, out of Game of Thrones for John, he's like, uh, stop vergecasting. I've been told that my my stories of sibling rivalry with my irritatingly perfect sister are, are not great vergecast material. <laughs> John John's literally <laughs> telling wow. me to shut up. All Guys. right, Sam, do the do the social do the social work here. Okay. Buddy. Snapchat, the real verge, add us there because Snapchat is where it's at. Um, you should follow us on Periscope because we Periscope um, quite frequently. We're youtube.com slash the verge also. All of our videos hit there um, as soon as we post them, and there are great things coming, so look out for them. Cool. Um, and then hit us up on iTunes. Uh, Emily has a great show called Verge ESP along with Liz Pato. Mm-hmm. Uh, you What's had an tech? episode this week or next week? Next week. Next week, yes. new episodes coming out. That's a great show. What's Tech with Chris Plant, also on our iTunes page. That's just iTunes.com slash The Verge. Uh, Sam is Shem Sheffer on Twitter. Dieter is Backlon. I am Reckless. Emily is Emily Yoshida. Thank you so much for listening. That was The Vergecast. Rock and roll. Paul. Oh, my God. And Walt Mossberg on The Vergecast next week. Get yes. ready. What? Get ready. Sick.